and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's up, Jason? Oh, uh, you know, uh, um, hanging in there. Uh, unfortunately, 2020 continues to give us uh, some uh, tremendously sad news, and uh, the latest sad news in the NBA world specifically is the uh, death of Clifford Robinson, um, August 29th on 2020 only 53 years old so um we're going to talk about his career here um you definitely a really good player for a really long time um just had incredible longevity in his career part of um, a lot of winning teams and of course some of those early 90s pro and trailblazers teams that you and i like to uh like, like to dig into here and there who I, I think probably get a little bit overlooked in nba history yeah, no, just a, a, a terrible story out of here tomorrow. Not completely out of nowhere uh, for people that kind of followed his life after the NBA. I mean, it, he had been obviously doing a bunch of different things and, and had been, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it in a bit, you know, a big proponent uh, for the legalization of marijuana and stuff like that and had, had done, you know, opened up dispensaries and things like that. But yeah, he had some health issues over the last few years. So not totally out of nowhere, but still definitely um, um, something that was kind of like, oh, crap. Cliff Robinson's dead, man. That's right. That yeah, sucks. Exactly. You know, just one of those things, mostly because, yeah, he had health issues, but he still, as you said, was in his early 50s. So it's just, you know, kind of surprised when, and it's, it's, and we've talked about this before too. It's remarkable how few NBA players have died. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it when you compare it to like, other sports and other things, like there's two MVPs in the history of the league that are dead right now. And that's right. insane. Yeah, like yeah. Kobe and Kobe Bryant is the, the, uh, another tragic one. That's that like only legit one has died of like, older age and even then will chamberlain was like not that old he just had you know so it's like unbelievable the longevity that some of these you know, these guys just live and live and live and it's awesome to see that that there are so few deaths you know in nba history so far yeah especially again among the more the, the prominent players yeah the legends, right, right, right you know guys like like that i mean you know obviously we, we've lost um guys more recently like moses malone um and you know, you know, but yeah, in terms of like the absolute upper echelon of of guys, yeah, there, there aren't um, off of that many. We've, we've been lucky that you know the that early generation of guys, you know, like George Mike and you know guys have passed away in recent, you know, in, in fairly recent ten last 10, 15 years. I mean, those guys all live to you know, a lot, most of them live to you know eighty or so yeah. years old. You know, had, had good long lives. So we've been blessed there, but unfortunately, you know, we've we've lost some. Guys, too, Cliff Robinson, and you know, and these this early '90s Blazers teams, um, they've been disproportionately hit. I yeah. mean, um, you know, when we first started doing the show, that was around the time Jerome Kersey passed away. Um, you know, Kevin Duckworth has passed away. Of course, Drashen Patrick Petrovich, you know, of a, um, oh, right. a, a yeah. extremely Jeez. young age. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, again, in terms of like the absolute legends of the game, you know, we've been fortunate that a lot of those guys have managed to um stay around and have have long laps but um yeah i mean going back to uh clifford robinson you know um i didn't really know much about his uh, college career but he was actually you know jim calhoun for um university of connecticut uconn you know called him kind of the first big star of that program in the late 80s as it kind of rose from you know complete obscurity into being you know one of the top you know big east um, programs. He led them to the NIT in 1988. Um, he was later, you know, named to, to UConn's all-century men's team, and uh, his number was retired in 2007, the double zero. Um, so, you know, he was a really, you know, I, I kind of had no idea about that part of his career, but that but that was definitely pretty interesting. Yeah, no, he's, and, and you know, UConn, 
we know them now. I mean, people that follow college basketball know them as, you know, one of the uh, more, I wouldn't say one of the top, top, you know, most elite, uh, uh, you know, teams, but one that throughout the nineties and the early two thousands was just churning out NBA players left and right. Uh, sure. one, I think two or three, uh, NCAA tournament or NCAA titles were in the sweet 16, the elite eight, uh, almost every single year. I fought on some little harder times. I guess they did win, um, uh, another title, you know, back in, in 2011 or whatever. But yeah, you look at it and you look at, you know, the stars that came out of UConn, the stars that came under, you know, Jim Calhoun, like he, you know, Reggie Lewis, obviously a few years prior, we, we you know, another tragic death, unfortunately, uh, right. with Reggie Lewis. And then, yeah, Cliff Robinson comes as like kind of the second or third sort of NBA player underneath uh, Jim Calhoun. And then, yeah, the list just explodes after that. Uh, so yeah, he really does kind of start the trend of of, of guys coming out from UConn and, and, and you know, going on to having, you know, great NBA careers, guys like Karan Butler, or Mecca Okafor, Ben Gordon, like, you know, uh, Charlie Villanueva, Rudy Gay, uh, uh, Kemba Walker, Andre Drummond, like those sort of guys, uh, many, many more, Daniel Marshall, Ray Allen, of course, yeah, I can't forget Ray Allen uh, in that as well, Richard Hamilton as well, so I mean, just a, a, a laundry list of like really, really, you know, solid NBA players coming out of that program, and yeah, Cliff Robinson being one of the first, you know, ones to kind of graduate from there and, 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 yeah, and go on to do that, so. Yeah, and he absolutely um, you kind of kind of got that started as we said. Um, you know, when he went into the NBA draft, he was not highly um, you know, touted. He was the 36th overall um, pick of that of the draft in 1989. Um, you know, he was actually the the latest pick of that draft to make an All Star game. You know, in the second round, uh, but he is second only to Vlade Divac in terms of all time win shares from that draft. Um, you know, other notable guys who were in there, Sean Kemp, Tim Hardaway, of course, Purvis Ellison, um, <laughs> yeah. number one. Yeah. Um, well, can't win them all. Yeah. I mean, luckily Sacramento yeah. has right, right to the ship after that and realized, you know, the area it, it, exactly. a, a model NBA franchise from that point forward. So uh, absolutely. Uh, Glenn Rice, Dana Barrows, BJ Armstrong, Sean Elliott, Nick Anderson. So, um, you're not a, you know, biggest star ever type draft but these some good names there and um again, again that longevity um you know set him apart certainly from from the rest of the guys um but yeah you, you had a kind of interesting quote from rick adelman um about that yeah there, there was a great article um from the uh um it was uh sorry what was the source it was i think it was what the hell was it it was oregonlive.com yeah sorry oregonlive.com that had a really yep. really good article about blazers top 40 players in history that had a lot of really cool quotes and this one was uh rick adelman uh, saying, quote, he was the guy on draft night sitting in that New York draft room and no one would take him. Everybody passed on him. He was the only one left under the board on our draft room. He was highly touted, but some scouts said he had a surly reputation and this and that. Well, the first time I talked to him, he was down. And then we talked about it and we decided it was time to prove everybody wrong about him. And absolutely did. I mean, 38, 36 overall pick. You don't usually find like solid, you know, guys are going to be with your team for a decade plus in the 36th pick of an NBA draft in the second round. And they did. They found a guy who maybe not immediately was a contributor, but by, you know, two, three years into his career was uh, as important as almost anybody on that team and and, and would go on, yeah, to have a, a, almost a decade uh, with Portland being, you know, one of their top players, whether it be off the bench or whether it be as a starter. The no doubt to production, we'll talk about that here in a bit. But, um, yeah, just, just you know, a, a great value. Uh, to get a 36 and just sucks that yeah it, and they have kind of slimmed it down a little bit where they used to you, you watch old drafts and like everybody's in the draft room they invite everybody and it's just like the worst thing ever when there's like one guy sitting there left like oh man <laughs> like i'm so nobody wants me um so yeah luckily they've stopped that and only really like invite people that they are very sure uh, are gonna go uh, pretty pretty early but uh not in those days those days everybody got invited so yeah yeah 
Yeah, and I, I think probably best known, um, uh, of course, first trademark headband, which we'll talk a little bit yeah. more about. Um, the fact that he was such a, a versatile defensive player, you know, he was able to guard big and small players uh, effectively and for stretching the floor as a big man. And in fact, he actually had two um, second team appearances on the all defensive team, which uh, surprised me a bit. I, I kind of thought of him more as just kind of a, you know, offensive player Same. didn't really do much yeah. on defense, but yeah, but he definitely, um, and, and we'll get into a little bit as like early on in his career, he, he didn't get a lot of minutes his first two, three seasons with the um, Blazers, but um you know, he, he did uh, a lot def- defensively, um, you know, for those teams and, you know, was, was, you know, guarding like Isaiah Thomas like in the, as a rookie in the 1990 finals, you know, and, and was guarding, you could guard big and small guys, as we said. So, um, you know, really was able to, he wasn't putting up a lot of numbers or anything, was able to, you know, kind of contribute in other ways until later, you know, he kind of became, you know, the leading or one of the top scorers um, for the team for, you know, kind of the second half of, of his 20s and, and into his early 30s. Yeah, and, I, you know, I was watching some highlights uh, of him and, and some game tape and, and stuff like that. And one thing that, yeah, totally caught me, you know, immediately was, as you said, like he can guard a point guard. He can guard Isaiah Thomas. They put a big, lengthy, you know, guy on Isaiah Thomas that has the same speed, the same athleticism, and all that sort of stuff. And, and another thing that was that really caught me as well, uh, looking at his defense, is he was incredible at, like, leaving his man to go block uh, another guy. Like, if you look at his early, you know, Portland days, I mean, he is so super athletic and so long, and and he's just able to swat things out of the air. And, like, you know, this is an NBA era where, like, in those days you really weren't supposed to just, like, jump as high as possible to try to block somebody. Like, it in many ways was seen as, like, ah, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, you got to stay by your man or, you know, stay on the ground or do that sort of stuff. But what he was able to do is, is you know, leave his guy real quickly. So, you know, he sees a shot going up by an opposing center. He would be able to leave his guy real quick, jump over there, and just swat him out of nowhere. And, and yeah, you see how... How, you know the defensive reputation right off the bat is like oh man this is a guy who can he can block the ball he can he can defend bigs and he can defend point guards as well he can defend shooting guards he can defend every five you know all five positions and in those days I mean that's just not something that happened very often I mean Scottie Pippen was one that that was notable about doing it and and, and Cliff Robinson obviously is another one that, that joins right along with there but yeah now it's like commonplace that you switch one through five everybody can kind of guard everybody uh, but not in those days <laughs> you know what I mean nobody you know people were not like this you know they they weren't this athletic at this size and and you know one thing and, and we'll talk about it a lot as well but I had always thought of him as more of a you know kind of a scorer as well, and you look at his body frame and and the way he scored, and the, you know, you know where, where shots came on the floor. And we we say this about a lot of guys, but he's one that definitely like you can close your eyes and transplant him into twenty twenty basketball, and there's like no you know I mean like he doesn't miss a beat. I don't think. Right. You know, it's oh, yeah. not like, yeah. you know, this guy uh, and, and even in those days, like it's amazing that they didn't tell him, oh, you need to gain 50 pounds and get down low or whatever. They were like, ah, you know what? You are what you are. Shoot some, you know, shoot some mid-range jumpers, shoot some threes, you know, be athletic, jump all over the floor. But like, yeah, he is, you know, there's some guys where you need to change some things. Okay. Yeah. If he did this, he could fit in. It's like, I don't think he had to change anything about Cliff Robinson. Like you can transplant 1991 Cliff Robinson into 2020 NBA. And I think he's still pretty solid. Yeah, just ask him to shoot a few more threes. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, Back up a few yeah. more feet and we're good. There you <laughs> go. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then, he, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. But he actually – he shot a lot of threes, yeah. especially in the late 90s. Obviously, that was when the um, three-point line got moved in. But, yeah, and he, he shot 35% uh, for his career from three points. So, yeah, I, other than taking a few more, he probably would uh, fit in, in that way just as well. You're absolutely right. So, yeah, um, you know, kind of the overview of his career, you know, mostly known for his eight years beginning his career with the Trailblazers from 1997. 
as you said, key, key piece off the bench for two finals runs and then was, you know, more of a leader of the team in the uh, mid-90s. But they, they were still, you know, good, not great uh, by that point as, you know, they transitioned kind of from the uh, Clyde Drexler era into the um, next era. Then he signed with the Suns as a free agent, um, spent four years there, including the time when Jewish they had Jason Kidd, Kevin Johnson, and Steve Nash. And we talked about that team a bit in our 20 years ago a series of the 1998 season. Um but, you know, had some good uh, time there. We're going to talk about a, a couple uh, of his most notable games actually happened when he was a son. Um, then he went to the Pistons in for 2 3 seasons, including a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was kind of right before, you know, they solidified that team, yeah. getting Rasheed Wallace and, you know, had their really more famous run. But they were still, you know, very good. Coached by Rick Carlisle for um, those two years when he was there. Um, and then kind of ended his career with a, with a year and a half with the Warriors and uh, two and a half years with the Nets um, retiring after the 2007 season. Those Nets were, you know, Jason Kidd um, again, uh, also got Vince Carter during that time. So again, you're pretty okay, you know, solid team. You know, I think made the second round once or twice there, um, but obviously he was, you know, almost 40 at that point and, uh, you know, only had a very small role by that last um, season. But, you know, again, uh, you know, uh, that, that's uh, you know, 17, 18 years in yeah. the league. Uh, you know, some really impressive stuff. Yeah, it, it, I always remember, you know, in, in those days, you know, the, the times when he would play, which, you know, a few and far between or whatever, but, like, you know, when he, when he would play, it was just like, man, Cliff Robinson's still in the league. Like, that's nuts, man. Like, I have, like, vivid memories of him in, like, the early 90s being, like, a very productive player. And, you know, he did sort of, you know, yeah, obviously he, he fell off a little bit, but, you know, when you look at his numbers, like, it's not like he was just completely a, an absolute nothing by the time he retired. Like, yeah, no, he wasn't scoring in double figures anymore, but he was still playing, you know, 20 minutes a game, still playing off the bench, still could contribute in some ways and, and, and do some stuff. It's just, you know, by that final New Jersey year when he's 40 years old, yeah, the shooting is kind of abandoning him, the athleticism is kind of abandoning him. But, I mean, yeah, when you talk about a guy like remarkable consistency, I'd say, yeah, for, for 10 to 13 to 14 years in that range, like solid as hell. And you kind of knew what you were going to get out of him every single year. And it wasn't until, yeah, that was final two years where it kind of really fell off. And even though the fall off is like, yeah, it's fine. Like he's still like an okay player. It's just, you know, obviously the NBA, you know, had passed him by a little bit, but Hey, when you're 40 and you've been playing, you know, since 1990, that's going to happen. So that, that's, that's definitely cool. Him and, uh, him and Kevin Willis, I think we're still around in 2004 or 2007 rather. Uh, I should say, which is awesome. So yeah, two, two, just like lengthy, awesome careers of those two guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Even look at you look at like oh four in Golden State when he's yeah, 37 still good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's you know twelve points a game. You know he's shooting you know thirty six percent from three. The overall field goal percentage is, is not strong. That, that that definitely fell off. Um, you know in his mid thirties, but um, yeah. I mean he's still definitely contributing. He played eighty two games that year, so um. You know, and they weren't a, you know, they, that was the, we'll get into it later. That was the first team he ever missed the playoffs with, but I mean, they were a 35 win team. It wasn't like they were like, you know, completely at the bottom of the lottery. Like, you know, they were a competitive team. Yeah. Like, you know, he had a big role for a competitive team at age 37. There's not a lot of guys who can really um, say that in NBA history. It's a, it's a fairly, you know, small hand. Yeah, he started. So. I mean, and, and that's too, like, we're going to talk about him coming off the bench a lot and stuff. He started all 82 games for that team and they were like, fine. You know what I mean? They weren't, they weren't good. They weren't great, but they were fine. And they were starting a 37 year old every single game of the year. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then after the NBA, um, he had a brief run on the TV series uh, Survivor and then uh, became an activist for legalized cannabis when um, when marijuana uh, became legal in um, 
in Oregon, he uh, was got involved in a dispensary and uh, an, had a business there. Um, and as you as you mentioned, you know, before, kind of recently, it had some health problems. He suffered a brain hemorrhage in uh, 2017, and you know, I, I hadn't you know heard much you know recently on that. I didn't know he didn't obviously didn't know he had serious health problems. It was probably something that was you know kept relatively quiet. But um, but yeah, but you know, he'd been. Definitely still involved in, um, you know, that he was fairly active on Twitter. He was still involved with, um, you know, his NBA activities, you know, kind of, kind of late, um, you know, in the early two thousands and stuff. So he wasn't, um, like it wasn't around all the time, but he was certainly, you know, was still making news, you know, even, um, you know, later on in, you know, after his career. Yeah. It definitely wasn't the, Hey, what happened to that guy thing? It was like pe- people kind of right. knew what he was up to, you know what I mean? And what do we wish they performed? Yeah. The very active on Twitter, we will talk about cause he owned us back in 2017. So I'm <laughs> excited did. to talk yeah. about it. One of our, one of our, uh, one of our proudest moments is getting owned by Cliff Robinson. So sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And you looked up some of the, you know, the, you know, again, we talked about how he had a long career, some of the the ranks he had in NBA history. Yeah, no, some 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 great longevity stuff from uh, uh, Cliff Robinson here. So at six ten, we we mentioned that before, uh, tall player, kind of the one of the original stretch fours, a lot of way. He's the uh, one of the tallest players to uh, make uh, more or, or one thousand career three pointers. He was actually the first one of the of that height uh, to make one thousand career three pointers. Uh, he was surpassed by Dirk and and, and Richard Lewis, and you know, in the, in the subsequent now in the next like you know five to ten years, he'll be passed by many, many, many men. But uh, it still is, yeah, he, he still ranks you know third all time in that, and and uh, you know, only the guys you know Dirk Nowitzki, who who obviously one of the the best big men shooters of all time, and then Richard Lewis, who almost like you kind of forget a six ten because he was almost always a shooter. Um, Pretty yeah, it's pretty awesome to be in, in that class. But of course, as we said, like this, this unfortunately will be something that he gets passed up by a lot as the game is sort of changed and, and, and altered and and stuff like that. But still, you know, a remarkable number there. Fourteenth uh, in NBA history for games played. I don't think I would have off the top of my head if you told me, hey, you know, who's top fifteen? You know, is, is Cliff Robinson top fifteen in, in games played in NBA history? I don't think I would say yes, but he was, and that's awesome. That's really cool. Twenty-five, uh, twenty-fifth, uh, I should say, in minutes played uh, as well. And then he's the only player in NBA history to reach career totals of uh, 1,253 pointers made, 1,250 steals, and 1,250 blocks as well. So good, uh, good overall numbers. Just speaks to his versatility, his longevity, and and just what yeah. he was able to do uh, across the board as well. And then you know this is what what caused the owning, and we'll talk about the owning in a little bit here. But uh, he is top ten in most wins in NBA history by a player. He uh, trails only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Robert Parrish, Tim Duncan, John Stockton, Karl Malone. Dirk Nowinski and Derek Fisher. That's pretty good company to keep, I'd say. <laughs> That's not <Yes>. bad. <laughs> uh, well, and, oh, and, and Tony, Tony Parker, Parker, Tony Parker, and Kobe Bryant as well. Sorry, yes. but still, yes, so, those yeah, are all you know. And then there's Cliff Robinson, which is you know what led to the owning. Because we're like, wow, those are like all time, yeah. all time great players. And then there's also Cliff Robinson there, but that speaks again to his longevity and it speaks to the success. We're going to talk about that as well. There is like one season where he misses the playoffs and it was a big deal because it's like oh my god Cliff Robinson missed the playoffs what the hell like so that's cool when you do that you know you're gonna rack up a lot of wins yeah absolutely I wanted to uh, give credit to uh, Justin uh, Kubaka who um, found that stat on the fact that you know he was the only player who had the 1253 points made steals and blocks um, in his uh, career that was a that was a good find so um yeah, just uh, now we're going to kind of go through, through where we pick 10 key moments of um, 
his career that, you know, I, I think kind of helped tell the story of, um, you know, uh, of his career. Uh, first, we'll start with his uh, his debut on November 3rd, 1989, his NBA debut and perhaps just as important, the NBA debut of his headband. Uh, so the um, the game was, um, you know, it was his debut was also the debut of uh, Drazen Petrovic, who I, I think people forget that sometimes that, uh, oh, yeah, Drazen was actually on the uh, Blazers for the first couple uh, seasons of his career. Didn't really do a whole lot uh, there. Um, you know, until he was traded to the Nets, but was was certainly uh, on that team. Um, Robinson had 10 points and five rebounds in 18 minutes in his debut was against Sacramento Kings. It was a 114-96 Blazers win. And of course, you know, he rocked the headband, um, you know, for the first time. He was not allowed to wear it in, um, in college. Jim Calhoun would not allow him to do that. And uh, there's a New York Times article from, 2007 kind of you know talking about how he was the you know pioneer and, and kind of that was around the time where the headband it was really coming back um but he said that he was the only player wearing a headband during his rookie season in 89 um in his quote when you think back on it it's pretty cool to be the person who brought it back to where it's not looked at as um ridiculous because uh, i mean it was definitely it was, you know it was definitely kind of a thing in the 70s mm-hmm. i mean will i think is credited with being kind of the first player to to um have it sort of toward the end of his career. Slick watch. Uh, slick, yeah. uh, obviously, it kind of made it cool back then. But yeah, when, when you know he was wearing it, um, you know, it was kind of more. I don't. I don't know. I, I guess maybe because like the fitness trend of the eighties, um, and you know, people kind of wearing headbands. It kind of went from like a like a fad, cool thing to like sort of a dorky thing, um, at least for a while. But yeah, he was kind of the the guy who started to make it cool again. It took a while, you know, but to like the early two thousands for it to really kind of spread along the league, but that's just kind of a, um, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, you, I think the, the lineage I think most people would kind of follow is, like you said, Wilt to Slick Watts to, I guess, kind of Bill Walton, but Bill Walton's wasn't, you know, straight up uh, headband. And you're absolutely right. Like the 80s, right. it kind of came like the dorky, you know, fitness thing as to wear a headband. And yeah, Cliff was just like, oh, screw that. I'm going to wear a headband. It's awesome. And yeah. and yeah, he brings it back and, and, you know, it takes a little bit of a while. And then once Allen Iverson embraces it, it's pretty much on and, and ready to go. Cause then you get, right. you, know, yeah. you know, Vince Carter, Paul Pierce, Ben Wallace, eventually LeBron James, Carmelo, you know, then it's just like, it, it's off to the races. But yeah, he definitely, after, I don't know, about 20 years or so of it, like basically, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know off the top of my head, I can remember one player in the 80s wearing it. I, I'm really honestly racking my brain. Uh, to try to think of any, so yeah, I mean, he, he an entire decade where it almost goes away completely, you know, and, and and yeah, he brings it back, and it's it's like one of his easily his most important characteristics. Like the thing that everybody I think remembers about Cliff Robinson more than I think was that headband. He just nailed it. He rocked it perfectly. You know, once he got the bald head, it was even better. It just like looked so slick, and and I just remember as well, like you know, playing like the early NBA video games, like the Bulls versus Blazers or NBA Live 95 or whatever. And they would always put his headband in there. It would be this, this like bright white headband. And it's just, he stood out from every other player on the court. And he did that in real life as well. I mean, the headband became synonymous with him. And it, 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 it's super cool uh, that he was able to do that. And and, and one thing you mentioned there is uh, in Connecticut, he was not allowed to wear it. I was watching highlights and I, I wonder as well, um, I don't think he was wearing it in Phoenix. And did you ever find out if there was a reason why he didn't wear it in yeah. Phoenix? Or did they have like a low-key like... They they wouldn't they, allow it or something. I I think that must have been it because yeah I I um I was looking at pictures and every picture I found with him at, with the Suns um he didn't seem to have it. Yeah so I'm, okay I'm, okay 
they, they must uh, yeah that that seems like the most logical reason they they didn't allow them for some reason so well who's the, um, I figure out who's the coach the entire um, uh was was danny ainge um for the most part that <laughs> he seems, probably that blamed like danny ainge, yeah. yeah or maybe or jerry colangelo that yeah like yeah a, it's probably yeah. a colangelo thing too well I what, I, what I was thinking is because scott skiles i remember was pretty anti but he was only there I oh, think the yeah. last last year of of cliff uh he might maybe right. scott skiles adapted it from danny ainge slash jerry colangelo because yeah. i know when skiles went to the bulls later he did that with you know ben wallace they signed ben wallace he's like yeah you can't wear a headband right. they're like why'd you sign ben wallace right. then like, yes it's like no like that's, that's like that's my point. thing are you kidding like why would you yeah. sign me that like ah get that right. off kid uh, yeah <laughs> what the heck yeah, like, it's pretty much my identity, uh, but I mean that's right. that's fine. So, right. uh, yeah, they cool. must. Okay, so the Suns. I you noticed that as well because I was watching these highlights and I'm like, is he just wearing like a very dark purple headband and I just can't see it or notice it? Right. And then you know on those videos I couldn't tell and I was like, what the hell? And then I looked at photos and I'm like, yeah, it's gone. And then you, the we, the reason I knew it had to be something with Phoenix because the second he's in New Jersey and Golden State, the headband's back on. He's rocking it again. So screw you, Phoenix for killing a little bit he was very good at phoenix though so maybe maybe the headband was a detriment to his career uh, but not really though, correct. it was no. awesome so. um yeah he said you know the um in the same article um you know clifford told a story about like oh yeah you try to get the trainer to to get him headbands and at first like he thought he he, he said he thought maybe the trainer thought he was kidding because it took a while to get them finally he got some that like had like velcro tabs <laughs> on the ends that he's like fastened around his head and were those for a couple games before, you know, he actually got the traditional ones and, you know, had them throughout his career. But, um, you know, as we talked about, yeah, he didn't necessarily, he didn't play like a lot of, um, you know, he didn't have a, a huge role um, as a rookie, but he definitely was, you know, in the rotation, um, you know, in the playoffs as a rookie, you know, he played 21 games there. He started six, um, had 6.5 points per game, 4.1 rebounds per game. Uh, one steal, one block, and only you know nineteen minutes per game. So um, you know was was definitely putting up numbers and was um, was contributing. Also, you know he filled in at center uh, for a uh, injured Kevin Duckworth in the second round series against the the, the Spurs that went seven games. I, I think Duckworth came back in game game seven that the Blazers won to advance. But um, you know and um, you know Rick Adelman talked about like. You know, from the first practice after the draft and beyond, I could never believe how versatile he was. You know, he could play power forward, small forward, center, and his versatility and how he could defend is really what made our teams um, back then. So was able to, um, you know, again, carve out a role um, as a rookie and as an, you know, as, as a real young player um, early on for, you know, a teams that were really stacked. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, coming into you know, and it's always tough for a rookie to join a team that that is good. You know what I mean? And try to find a spot right. and, and and find a role. And yeah, he comes into the team and they're like, "Hi, we're going to the NBA Finals this year." And it's like, "Oh, okay." Like, and it's not even yeah. like you know. And and it's we always talk about this Portland team as well. Like the depth on this team was just incredible. Like ten deep, they're really really good. So to carve out a spot on that team uh, is going to be difficult. So yeah, Cliff, you know, you know what what we would know him as as being and really what his skills would would be weren't really that evident as a rookie but he was able to fill out like you said d- different roles as a rookie and just say okay i'll do whatever i need to do i'll be good uh, i'll be a versatile defender i'll do this i'll do that or whatever whatever he could do to get on the court and prove uh that he belonged and, and he, he absolutely did that and yeah like we said by you know another year or two later uh he's what we know cliff robinson as and he's a, he's a huge part of of that entire team yeah yeah, again, you know, like he's sort of you stuck behind guys, you know, Jerome Kersey's in the team, Clyde Drexler, Buck Williams, you know, Kevin Duckworth, um, Terry Porter. I mean, guys, you know, whatever role he would kind of fit in, you know, any forward spot or any of uh, the center spot is all filled out with with 
with guys who are really you know good and really good contributors. So mm-hmm. um, just kind of finding the role within that there, and then you know excelling, you know, is just kind of a testament to um, his talent and his you know persistence. So, um, so next uh, key thing is obtaining his Uncle Cliffy nickname. You want to take that one? Yeah, let's talk about Uncle Cliffy here because this has become his 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 legacy in a lot of ways as much as that band. Uh, Uncle Cliffy. So following Game 4 of uh, 1992 Western Conference Finals against the Jazz, uh, Robinson performed a victory dance. He would later tell the press that that dance was called the Uncle Cliffy, uh, and it became a cult phenomenon in Portland. So at first he he didn't really like it. He didn't really want it. Uh, he kind of said it was, you know, I, I leave that Uncle Cliffy alone, please. This is an article from the Washington Post. He says, I shouldn't have even started it. Everybody's trying to take the fact that I've been doing the Uncle Cliffy out of context. I'm here to play basketball. Because it was seen as showy, and, you know, it's it's a... This isn't the NFL. There's no victory dances, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, whatever the hell the old people got all upset about at that time. But uh, anyway, he would uh, he would go on to embrace it. He'd own it. He'd decide to take ownership of it. It was like, hey, if you guys are going to call me it and it's going to become a negative connotation, screw that. I'm going to make it a positive connotation. And he did. I think Uncle Cliffy became kind of like a, a, a nice I, – I don't think it ever represented like showiness or, or, or showboating or anything like that. It was just became like his name. Like that just was what right. he was. He owned it, which is pretty cool. So – uh, he'd go on to fully embrace it. Uh, his Twitter handle was Uncle Cliffy Thirty. Uh, the basis for his marijuana dispensary is the perfectly named Uncle Spliffy. So uh, yeah, he just absolutely nailed it, which is perfect. But anytime anybody, you know, takes something negative, if you can turn it into a positive, you are doing something right in your life. So yeah, good on Cliff Robinson to do that. Yeah. Um. So the next uh, key moment is winning the 1993 Sixth Man of the Year. Um completely blew away all the competition that year and most importantly beat Danny Ainge which you oh, know, yeah. definitely destroyed the, uh... Danny Ainge which is just yes. know, just chef's kiss yes. that one. So his, maybe his that's former... why he did the no headband thing now it's all coming yeah. together he's like you know what screw that guy no headband for him oh there you go that'd be perfect yeah yeah former teammate and future coach Danny Ainge he yes. uh, beat but yes um he scored in double figures uh 76 times times out of 82 games that he played including a, a 40 point game in april against utah at five um 30 point games that year that that 40 point game he also had five blocks um as well in in that game so um one of the standout games of his career um and then yeah this would be kind of like the last year where he'd you know be primarily a bench role player that you kind of move into the starting lineup the next year you know kind of get full starters minutes and for the next you know six seven years or so kind of you know be um, you know, kind of be a, be a starter and, and kind of be a prime player on his team. Um, and this was only uh, one of nine seasons in NBA history that uh, saw a player score more than 19 points a game, but start in fewer than 20 games. So that's a that's pretty. The he joined the uh, other players who are um, on that list are Lou Williams, who did it twice, Jason Terry, Ricky Pierce, Ricky Pierce, excuse me. Uh, Thurl Bailey, Eddie Johnson, Xavier McDaniel, and also Thurl Bailey a second time. So, um, so that's a uh, that's a a, a a small and interesting list there. Um, however, the team success there wasn't really um, as good as they were hoping for. You know, this is after, of course, you know they made the '92 Finals in '93. They lost to uh, San Antonio in the first round. They kind of had uh, and they, they the first of six straight. Um, losing in the first round for the uh, Trailblazers, which, it, you know, 
I mean, that, that definitely you know isn't ideal, but you know we've talked about before. The West was so incredibly stacked in the um, in the nineties, and you know Blazers are generally making you know fifth or sixth seed. You know most of those years, you know they a few of them they were the eighth seed, but um, you know it was tough out there. I mean, it, I, I don't I don't think losing in the first round all those times is as, as bad as it sounds. No, absolutely not. You know, and, and, and there's this like perception that like the West just got good, like, you know, in the last, you know, two decades or whatever. And, you know, because the, the finals were coming out of or the, the championship was coming out of Chicago all the time, you know, it was the idea that, oh, the West is, you know, weak and the East is a powerhouse or whatever. No, the West was, it was 50 wins. It was like, you know, always <laughs> seemingly for the last two, three decades has been kind of the baseline to making it in, in, in the West and making the playoffs. So yeah, just making the playoffs that many years in a row, I think is, is a tremendous accomplishment. It's probably, you know, it's tough if you're a fan of that team, you know, knowing what's going on and, 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 you know, trying like hell to try to win, you know, in, in, in and make it farther. But I think just honestly making the playoffs that many years in a row is pretty cool. Um, so I, I will never be somebody that like, you know, poo poos that or says it's like, it's not worth anything. Yeah. Making it to the first round, make it to the playoffs every single year in a stacked West is, is, is perfectly fine with me. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next uh, season, 1994, he plays in his only All-Star game. Uh, he um, he had 10 points and five assists and five of eight shooting, so acquitted himself well. Uh, his team, the West, fell to the East, 127-118 uh, on Scottie Pippen's MVP performance that year. Uh, this was the first season in which he started the majority of his team's games for the first time, led the team in scoring with um, 20.1 points per game, Game on the team at that point as well. Drexel wouldn't be traded until the um, next season. Also had six point seven assists, one point or excuse me, six point seven rebounds per game, one point nine assists, one point four steals, and one point four blocks. So you know, just definitely contributing in um, all areas on the box score. As we talked about, you know, he um, you know he had up to two blocks per game. During that time, so shot blocking was always a strong skill. You know, he always was around one point one to 1.5 um, steals per game as well. Um, you, you know, so, you know, that definitely shows versatility. The, the assists were not strong that year, but he'd be up to like, you know, three assists per game, um, you know, around his um, peak or so. So he definitely, um, you, you know, would would go up in that category as well. So he definitely was contributing pretty much in all areas of the box score. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some of those numbers are kind of shockingly good you, you know especially with that era as well when you see the versatility the numbers across the board the, the scoring totals as well it, like you know we're, we're talking about not not today we're like you know it's it's pretty easy to routinely or teams are routinely you know throwing up one you know 20 130 or whatever like Robinson right. averaging the amount of points that he did on that team with a lot of depth and a lot of really good players and in a league that was a lot slower and a lot you know you, you know more methodical about you know offense those numbers are, are they're, they're good numbers. They're really, really, really good numbers. And I think that, you know, doing, you know, some research for this, like, caught me by surprise because I was just like, yeah, no, like, I thought he would be, like, in the 10 to 15 range. And I'm like, no, dude, this guy's, like, he's putting up 19, 20, 21 points a game in, in, in an era where that was unique and that was special. So, yeah, that, that's a huge credit to him in this era. And it speaks to his tremendous skills uh, as well that he was able to, you know, you know achieve that. Yeah. Um, and there was um, that Oregon Live piece that we talked about on the Top 40 Blazers. Um, it talks about, you know, how this really was kind of a breakthrough for him. You know, he really early in his career fought for respect among, you know, the the older guys on the team. He really wanted to be a starter. Um, 
and definitely there were a lot of heated practices where you know there were um especially with him and Jerome Kersey where you know they they, they fought um you know and it was all about you know competitive in terms of just um you know you know obviously Cliff wanted to be a starter wanted to prove himself and you know and, and Kersey you know wanted to keep his spot it was all you know for, for for the most part, just professional competitiveness. And it, you know, got heated sometimes they, they got into fights. Um, and, um, you know, you know and, and Drexler talked about how, you know, yeah, this was absolutely something that we needed to make this team better. And this was really uh, kinds of things. And E. Robinson admitted like, yeah, he, he came to blows with, uh, you know, Kersey and Mark Bryant and Buck Williams in practices, but you know, says that all of them also were his friends. You know, we, um, and he says, I don't think I would have had an 18 year career without somebody like drum Kersey to go against, he played so hard every day that if you didn't, it would show up real quick. So I wasn't going to go, wasn't going to back down. And I think that earned their respect. Yeah. And that's, you know, sometimes, you know, especially in those days, you had to do that. <laughs> you know, the vets didn't want right. to give their spots up and you're a youngster. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta prove it on the court and sometimes you gotta prove it off the court too. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. you know, definitely a different world, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it seems in all the stuff that it was like fights, but they were like the kind of fights that, you, you know, the, the classic, like, you're punching each other, then you're hugging each other like a minute later, you know, type thing is what it sounds yeah, like. Right. Most of these, you know, those are spec fights where it's like, well, prove it to me that you're tough, and then you prove you're tough. It's like, okay, you're tough. All right, cool. Yeah. Like, I've never been in those because I'm not tough, but you know, no. well, no. I'm no, a lover, not a fighter, we're, Jason. So that's, you know. We're not high level athletes. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, well, speak for yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I know that you're quite a lead athlete in the, in the yeah. podcasting world. I'm, I'm sorry, Rich, I didn't mean to make any assumptions. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, jeez, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So, all right, uh, next moment here, uh, January seventh, nineteen ninety six. Cliff Robinson is named the Player of the Week, and that's a, a tremendous honor uh, for him. And and man, this guy was excited about Christmas or New Year or what? I don't know what it was. He was really excited about the uh, the upcoming nineteen ninety six year because he puts up thirty points on December twenty seventh, twenty six points on December twenty ninth, uh, another twenty points on the thirtieth. Then the year starts and he is ready to go. He has twenty two on the second, twenty three on the third, twenty nine on the fifth, and then seals the deal with 41 points on the 7th uh, of January. It's the third highest scoring game of his entire career. We'll talk about this here in a bit. The 40, uh, 50 point game against Denver uh, on January 16th, 2020. Or, or, or not 2020. That'd be very, very interesting if he did that. Uh, 2000. So that would be quite the year for Cliff Robinson to have 50 points and uh, and, and pass away in the same year. That'd be a tremendous accomplishment. But uh, uh, 42 points for support Portland revenge game on, on February 1st, 2001 are the other two highs. But yeah, this is the other one. He gets named uh, the player of the week and it's hard to argue with it. It's pretty good. You know, Blazers aren't like, you know, they go three and three during those games. It's not like they're, you know, a really great team at this time, but um, no, I mean, great numbers. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, for a guy, you know, that's maybe not known for having huge explosions of scoring just a few times here and there. Like these are, these are pretty damn good numbers all in a week. So good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive. Um, so, um, we went a little bit out of chronological order, but um, but going back to February 1995, uh, he ended. Uh, he played his last of 461 games in a row. He had actually had 13 points in 11 minutes during that game. It was against the Golden State Warriors. I'm assuming he perhaps got hurt in that game, which is why he only played 11 minutes, um, and then missed a few uh, games that that year. But yeah, for the first five seasons of his career, he played all 82 games. Uh, season number six, he played 75 and then yeah, pretty much, um, for the next, um, you know, for the ex- next eight, nine seasons, he played every game that he, uh, possibly could, um, you know, really he played, uh, at least, 
um, 71 games in every full season until the last season of his career, when, which only played 50 games. So definitely um, had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of durability, you know, um, to do so. And um, it's actually harder than you might think to find the, a list of um, Ironman streaks in NBA and ABA his, history. It isn't just is compiled in any source that I could find, but it is, uh, it could be the 13th all time um, on the list. Uh, I found definitely there are 12 streaks that are longer. It's possible. There are a, a few others in there, but it's definitely, again, I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, top 15, top 20 in um, pro basketball history uh, for sure. So definitely a um, impressive longevity record for um, him. It speaks to him that he was able to, you know, uh, play so many games in a row and, you know, and, and played and, and missed very little time in his career, uh, you know, because of injury up until, you know, his final season. Yeah. And as we mentioned as well, it's, you know, these aren't little like, you know, I come in for two minutes a game and then I, I go sit down or whatever. These are like heavy minute games. He's playing a lot of stuff. You're like these are, these are impressive games that he's playing in as well. So yeah, really, really cool list there. Uh, and some, some great names uh, that he's involved with. So, all right, let's jump all the way now to, uh, January 16, 2000, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, this is his 50-point game. Uh, he does it against the uh, Denver Nuggets, January 16th, 2000. Uh, sets the record for oldest ever player to score 50-plus points for the first time at 33 years and two months. And that lasts all the way until 2010, Andre Miller, which is one we talked about in our 50-point game uh, series about Andre Miller, now the official old dude in the uh, <laughs> the group there uh, for you know 50, for the first time to score 50. Uh, and this was the first 50-point game since, this is interesting too, April 7th, 1998, 21 months, nine days between 50-plus games, uh, as long as gap since a three-season drought back in the mid-50s. So yeah, not many 50-point <laughs> games uh, going up between 1998 and 2000, but uh, Cliff Robinson breaks that streak uh, and now... During these playoffs, it's hard to go like two days without it. So it's pretty impressive yes. how that's going. Yeah. But yeah, not, from God, fucking 1999 basketball, man. From 1998 to 2000, no 50 point games. Get all the way back to the mid 50s to find that. It's uh, that's not good basketball. I don't like that basketball. I kind of like, I don't know. I kind of like somewhere in between for sure. So yeah, I, I like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I tend to enjoy the more fast paced, more scoring uh, type basketball. You know, when they don't play defense, that's that's what I like. Yeah, yeah. When all these, I, I like these lazy players basketball. don't play defense, yeah, that's always, so. exactly. That's that's the kind of basketball I enjoy. No, uh, yeah, eight, you know, he had fifty points, um, eight rebounds, four assists, two blocks. Um, you know, um, seventeen to twenty six from the field, three of five from three, uh, thirteen and fifteen from the line. So you know, all around uh, stout game, obviously. Um, you know, and, and probably you know, almost certainly the the best game of uh, his career. You know. He, he had some standout ones, but this was definitely, um, uh, you know, this is it's really, obviously career high in, in points and you know, probably his best all around game. But um, another uh, great game that he had, you know, not too far afterward in May of 2000, just a few months later, was his best um, player performance uh, statistically. And he uh, was against the Lakers in uh, game four of their, uh, this was a second round series. Um 32 points, nine rebounds uh, in a 117-98 Suns win against the Lakers. This is, of course, the 2000, you know, the Kobe, the first Kobe Shaq and Phil Jackson is the coach here. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it prevented the Suns from being swept. It wasn't exactly, you know, a dramatic high-stakes game outside of um, staving off a little bit of embarrassment. But, yeah, he had, um, you know, um, 
you know, he, he had had a strong game there. It was able to, um, you know, help, uh, help the Suns uh, stave off. You know, that was, this was Jason Kidd, Penny Hardaway, Sean Marion as, as a rookie or, or maybe second year player, Rodney Rogers, Suns, um, Kevin Johnson coming back for, you know, a cup of coffee type, uh, Suns. So they were definitely outmanned, but, um, despite having some good players, but, um, but yeah, this was, uh, the standout playoff game of his career, his, his playoff career high. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really, really good stuff there. Uh, this one is, as we mentioned, this damn warriors, he misses the playoffs for the first time in his career, all the way into his 15th season. Uh, he reached the playoffs in each of his first 14 years. Obviously I uh, tied him with Dolph Shea. So the fifth longest streak in NBA history, uh, puts him third behind Carl uh, Malone, who that time was a Laker, 18 consecutive seasons, and the Bulls, Scottie Pippen at 16 consecutive players. Uh, that was that was active players at this time when, when he does miss this. Uh, and Robinson, there was a great quote here. He says, I always thought it would I would just get there. You just get used to going every single year. You say, we're going, get ready, let's do this. That must be nice, Cliff, all right? You know, like walking yeah. to training camp. Yeah. yeah, we're making the playoffs. Like, that must be nice, right. Cliff. Well, welcome to Golden State in the 2000s. So that's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you so thought it was easy. Well, welcome to Golden State. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, this is a, a um, an article from SFGate.com, and uh, yeah, Donald Foyle basically yeah, he has a quote in there because Donald Foyle you know, hasn't made the playoffs in his career like eight <laughs> right. seasons at that point. And he, he's like, yeah, he he keeps annoying me with you know by saying that that stuff. You know, it just a funny quote about like how you know both of their experiences are just so completely different in. Um, in, in the NBA. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it is, I mean, yeah, he drops into a finals team and then, yeah, just, he's just always in the, in the playoffs. That's awesome. But uh, right. yeah, there's, yeah. you can't, you can't stop the power of uh, what the hell was the stupid warriors thunder guy logo. He had a, they had a mascot and he had a name and I'm forgetting what it is, which is, he, you know, his name was thunder. Yeah. His, was it his thunder? Name okay. Was th- yeah. Yeah. We yeah, can't stop right. thunder. Cause that, that no. weirdo, even though well, his name was right. okay. I guess, I guess he was lightning, but I get the name thunder. I don't know what that has to do with the warriors, but Thus is the 2000 Warriors. Who the hell knows? It it's just a giant a shrug. Yeah, who who yes. knows what any of this has to do with the Warriors? But yeah. uh, thankfully, they've they've righted the ship they, temporarily. They have a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, they're a lot of teams. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe, really, maybe. Really righted the ship. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see if the Steph Curry guys still any good. You know, next year. But, um, yeah. Um, so you know, you looking at you know his career in 2004. Um. You know, he definitely, uh, you know, well, I probably one of the, the last great games of his career um, was January 15th, 2004, against a young LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, scored 35 points, eight rebounds on seven of eight three point shooting, which was his career high for threes in a game. Uh, was the second most threes by anyone in a game that season. There were 15 other players who had, um, who had done so the only guys who had more threes that year in a game were Gilbert Arenas, Tracy McGrady, Dirk Nowitzki, and um, Quentin Richardson. So yeah, I, I saw someone and I, and I, I don't remember exactly who it was offhand, but tweet that, you know, LeBron played with Cliff played against Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson played against Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish played against John Havlicek <laughs> and John Havlicek played against Dolph Chase, you know, who goes back to the first year of yeah, the yeah. NBA and the last year of the um, NBL as well. And, and um, I, I, Oh, it was char. I, I looked it up and it's um, both in the new NBA and the old NBL. Uh, Shays played against Charlie ship 
who dates back to the first season of the NBA. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's so awesome. yeah. yeah. So back to nineteen thirty-seven. So, what's it, five, so what do you get? You get five players there to get there? Is it five? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, or, that's awesome. Yeah, six players. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a good six degrees of separation right Hell there. Yeah. So I love those. Yeah, those yeah. are <laughs> fantastic. But yes, yeah, it's, it's a great game. Like I, I, they, he was the hot hand, and they just said, ah, "Screw it, play." And he played forty-two minutes, uh, eleven of nineteen from the floor, seven of eight from three, six of seven from free throw. As we said. Eight rebounds, thirty-five points. He's a plus twenty-six on, on and and dude, he's you know he's yeah. he's not young. <laughs> so, like, right. and they're just like, dude, go out there. And he's out. He outplays LeBron James in this game. I mean, LeBron has a, a pretty nice game himself. You know, eight to twenty-one from the field, twenty-nine points. But he's no Cliff Robinson, man. He's no Cliff Robinson. Oh. They're putting up thirty-five points. Uh, yeah. For a uh, pretty interesting uh, Golden State Warriors team, as we said, not like a not a putrid Golden State Warriors team. Like they had talent, it just wasn't you know. It's yeah, it was that same year where they missed the playoffs, you know, they, right, right. um, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they, they had okay. Like I said, they were like a 35, um, ish with team. They, they had Jason Richardson. They had, you know, Speedy Claxton, who was still all right. You know, Mike Dunleavy, who was, you know, fairly solid. Um, you know, uh, Michael Petrus, I think as a rookie. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, even if a, a few of the guys who, you know, were part of that, we believe team later on, um, you know, once Baron Davis came along and Steve Jackson and all those guys, but, um, but yeah, you know, and this is of course LeBron's rookie season. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of a neat, just kind of random, um, you know, fun game that, um, he had, but yeah, it, Cliff Robertson, 37, 38 years old, still, still capable of, you know, a big scoring binge and a, um, and a great game. Yeah. And, that, so. and that's, I mean, that's the year we were talking about where it's like, he's, you know, a very big part of that team, <laughs> like, and they're, you know, not a terrible team. And he's like a big, you know, role in it. Yeah. 30, not very often a 37 year old comes in starts for your team and your team's not just absolutely putrid or like, you know, or he's not like one of the greatest players of all time. It's like, you know, very rarely does like a solid role player guy just stay solid and, and, and continue to be, you know, contributing piece to a team into his late thirties. And, and, and that's absolutely what Cliff Robinson was. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yes, the, the final uh, noteworthy moment uh, is of course uh, Clifford Robinson owning us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we had replied to it. This was when uh, Tony Parker, I think it was one of his final seasons or his second or last season or whatever. Uh, so the San Antonio Spurs say last night, Tony Parker passed Kobe Bryant to move into eighth place on the NBA all-time wins list. Uh, and we had noted that list before, which again, I, I'll just reiterate who was on this list before. So there's Kobe Bryant, Tony Parker, Derek Fisher, Dirk Nowinski, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Tim Duncan, Robert Parrish, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Cliff Robinson is last on the list. And we tweeted, uh, I forget who did this. I think maybe me or maybe it, I forget who it, it was. It was but, me. Okay, it well then, me. okay, then it's your fault. So good, good for you. It's my fault. Uh, yeah. See, I knew Cliff Robinson's contributions to NBA sure. history. You, on the other hand, right. did not. But yeah. uh, so you, you wrote here. You, Jason Mann, wrote. Uh, I love that yeah. Cliff Robinson is in the top ten. How random. And then we got a reply. Yeah. Uncle Cliffy Thirty, who was obviously throwing up the, uh, doing some vanity searching. Maybe he's got tweet deck set up for any mention of Clifford Robinson to pop up onto yeah. his feed or whatever. So, because uh, I, I, you know, this thing didn't get retweeted by like you know six thousand people, so that it would have showed up. Like yeah. I think old, old Uncle Cliffy there's got a little vanity search going on, and he goes, he replies, "Not random at all. You must not know your NBA history that well." Owned. Yes, there we go. We were owned. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I obviously, you know, we take it as a kind of a a mix of bemusement and a, as an honor to uh, for that to happen. You know, and yeah, I, I can. I, it was of course not meant as an insult to him. I can see how he maybe took it that way, but it was, you know, 
the the guys on that list, with the exception of him and Derek Fisher, are like all time <laughs> players in history. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> who, you know, who played most of them played, you know, with one franchise their, you know, most of their entire career and are like icons of that franchising. And, you know, uh Clifford and even even Fisher, you know, had most of his career with the Lakers and was part of some, you know, of, of great champion, you know, five championship teams. So um and Clifford Robinson, you know, again, more of a journeyman, you know, known for some really good years with Portland, but you know, bounced around the league, had a lot of teams that was just like, oh yeah, definitely not a name that I would have, have um expected to be on there. Uh, but yeah, as you know, we we've shown here, I think, yeah, a lot of respect for him, his play, his career. Um, all that good stuff. And, you know, we had, we had a good chuckle about um, the fact that uh, he took a little umbrage from uh, what we did. And, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe we don't know as much about NBA history yeah, as, we, we as we think we do. Educate yeah, ourselves so. a little bit. No, but that's, uh, you yeah. know, I, I definitely think, um, and I always took it as, as being a little bit more of a kind of like a joke. Like, I, I cannot imagine that, like, Clifford Robinson at, like, you know, 48 years old is like upset that we hear whatever you know what i mean like there's no way that he's like these assholes like if it was like kevin durant i'd be like oh yeah this dude is like really upset that we're doing this but i can't imagine clifford robinson is like actually upset about he's probably just laughing you know as he's you know taking a a a smoke off of a gigantic (laughs) blunt or something you know what i mean like like i doubt clifford robinson is like really upset about it so we always took this kind of a joke too it wasn't like i felt like oh man he like he you know yeah, we we should have taken the opportunity to ask for a sponsorship. I guess absolutely, uh, we should have. Yeah, we missed that. Yeah. Uncle Spliffy. <laughs> I remember really missed the opportunity. Yeah. I would absolutely talk about Uncle Spliffy. Uh, oh yeah, every yeah. single time on this show. So if we yeah. if we had the chance, but exactly, yeah, <sighs> probably cool. too late for that, unfortunately. Now, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you know, um, yeah, you know, rest in peace, Clifford Robinson. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, really, like I said, really. Really good NBA player for some really interesting teams. Um, you know, hopefully we did some justice to some of the top moments of his career. Lots of other stuff we could have gotten into too. And he was, you know, it's again part of some really fascinating teams. Those early two thousands Pistons, those late nineties Suns. You know, um, lots of good stuff there. But um, early you know, early think... barbed wire tattoo guy as well. He had the uh, the barbed wire oh, tattoo yeah. around the bicep. I don't know if he. I don't know who was like the. Uh, the the trendsetter in that he may have been the trendsetter in that too i don't know but i I remember he had it pretty early on in his career and and like the old uh, bill goldberg probably stole it from uh from clifford robinson i'm guessing there you go yeah we'll we'll see if uh prove that it's not the case i don't know prove that it's not hey uh, yeah prove it's yeah we'll 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 see maybe maybe we'll do a sequel if we have to about the barbed wire tattoo yeah exactly yeah so deep investigation on the barbed wire tattoo in nba history yeah so all right well um you know thanks uh uh, you know, Rich, for for doing this was this was a uh, you know it's obviously a sad moment, but it's also fun to dig yeah. into um, this stuff and and you know we always enjoy the opportunity even when it's for a sad reason. But um, you know, thanks everyone for uh, listening. You can find us at the Step Back at uh, Fansided uh, You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Over and Back. We are also on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. If you want to, uh, you know, give us some feedback and uh, let us know uh, any corrections or any ideas or you know any good stuff, uh, compliments, um, criticism, you can throw someplace else. We don't want to hear that. No, I'm just just kidding. <laughs> you know, constructive criticism. Constructive, pretty- damn it. Yeah, don't just be yeah, an asshole. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, right. We don't. We're not really big fans of that. But um, yeah. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.